You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. John chapter 14, verse 13 and 14. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Thank you, Gretchen. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you so much for your presence, which is here. Help us to be here with you. So I'm thinking about that song where we just said and we prayed through song that you're bigger than we thought you were. But my guess is that there are still a lot of us in the room, maybe even myself, who don't think you're that big. And so I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would expand our minds and our imaginations, that you would open our hearts to receive everything that you have for us. As we talk about this somewhat difficult, sobering topic of unanswered prayer, I pray that you would minister to each heart in a unique way. And it's in Christ's name that I ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. I want to start this morning by reading two prayers of confession that were recently recorded on paper in our prayer room. I read these last week when I was in the prayer room and and wanted to share with y'all. The first one comes from Tim Parrott. I'm sharing this with his permission, but he wrote the following. In 2019, my mom was unexpectedly placed on a ventilator due to complications with pneumonia. As the infection slowly deteriorated her lungs, we prayed for divine healing. We prayed for a miracle. We wept and we cried out in desperation for a touch of heaven, but she died. I know we live in a broken world where bad things still happen. I know you weep with me in the midst of my grief. I know death is defeated and all sad things will come untrue, but I confess that I struggle to pray big prayers now because I'm afraid I'll be disappointed again. Not too far down from this prayer, here's Another prayer of confession I came across is from Mallory Wesley, and again, with her permission, it reads, Lord, soften my heart. I've become weary after having big prayers of total healing for my daughter not answered. I'm scared of more disappointment, so I don't even want to open up my heart. As we've been learning in this series, prayer is powerful. But what I want us to consider this morning is that it's also painful. Because though there are moments that all of us could point to where we have prayed and we've seen God do big things, there are also times where we have prayed and it feels like God did nothing at all. Times where we've prayed for healing and the healing didn't come. Times we prayed for the marriage to be restored, the marriage was not restored. Times we prayed for God to help us break free from the addiction and we continued to stay enslaved. Times where we pray for the conflict to be resolved, but it wasn't resolved. And therefore, as a result, when it comes to prayer, I think many of us can relate with Tim and Mallory in that we find ourselves today disappointed, disillusioned, and somewhat filled with doubt. I've been thinking this past week about Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's hours before he's arrested and crucified. And out of deep distress, this this prayer just begins to, to spill out of his soul. And here's the way he addresses God. He starts his prayer by saying, Abba, Father. It's a beautiful sentiment. It's actually the most uh, intimate title you can give for God. It's the same as, as us saying daddy. 
So Jesus starts his prayer by acknowledging God's loving presence, but then not only that, he also acknowledges God's unstoppable power because he prays, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. And there's the rub. Because at least from my vantage point, and probably from yours as well, if God is both all-loving and all-powerful, why is it that there's so much suffering and pain in my life? despite all of my prayers. See, the big, I think, kind of awkward elephant in the room, especially when you do a series on prayer, is the fact that a lot of our prayers do go unanswered. And I think this is a a topic we have to address because if we're ever going to be a people of prayer, if we're ever going to actually, as a church, become a house of prayer, to use one of Jesus' phrases, then we not only need to preach on the mighty works of God and the promises of God, but we also need to wrestle honestly with the silence of God. There are a few people I know in our church who've experienced more loss than Tammy Smith. When we were in college, Tammy lost two sisters to freak accidents within just a couple months of each other. She has buried her firstborn son, Fletcher, when he was just eight months old, and she has endured a heartbreaking divorce. And this week we were texting back and forth, and here's what she said to me. Despite praying that God would save my sister's son and marriage, the silence of God was deafening. I think it would have been easier if actually God, or I think it would have been easier if I actually would have heard God say no. Because to hear a no, though disappointing, would have been much easier than the intense pain created by silence. If you've ever been in suffering, you know that that to the sufferer, silence feels like apathy. Uh, It it feels like God is unmoved and uncaring, like the only one who has the power to actually stop my mom's disease apparently doesn't want to be bothered by me right now. Or like the one who I actually can supposedly trust to heal my wounds apparently is distracted by bigger issues. Like the one who says all through the Bible that he wants this big, deep relationship with me actually doesn't really care about my deepest and most heartfelt cries. That's what silence feels like. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. This is Jesus' prayer, and if it's true that God is both a loving Father and he can do anything he wants whenever he wants, then I think at least God has some explaining to do. Because if this is true, what this means is that either God wills things into our life that is so painful it almost seems unforgivable, Or he at least maybe doesn't will the cancer or cause the suffering, but he still allows it. And though that might sit a little bit softer with you, does it really make God any less responsible for our suffering and pain? Because even if God just allows the pain and suffering into your life, that doesn't make him a murderer, but doesn't it at least make him look like a doctor who has a cure to cancer but keeps it hidden in his nightstand? The author Jack Deere wrote several books on the power of prayer. I've got several of them in my office. They're fantastic. But my favorite book by his is a memoir that recently came out entitled Even in Our Darkness. And he tells a story about the miraculous power of God he sees in his public ministry. But then he also talks about his son's suicide, which led to his wife's subsequent plunge into alcoholism that eventually led to their divorce in his private life. And in this brutally honest book, Deere writes the following, For decades, I had preached that the mystery of suffering would always elude our understanding. That was an easy thing for me to say until the weight of that mystery crushed me. 
Personally, I have had the very real experience of praying for someone in the hospital room that the medical staff left for dead, only to see that person wake up and go on living. I have personally experienced the heaven-kissing earth kind of power because of a God who intervenes. And I have also held the hand of a young man in a drug-induced coma. His family invited me into the room because their prayers for him didn't seem effective, and they thought maybe God would listen to me since he didn't seem to be listening to them. I anointed that young man's head with oil and prayed all the promises of God that I knew over him. I prayed with faith, only to walk out an hour later past that same family who was now grieving the fact that God wasn't any more attentive to my prayers than to theirs and that their son is now dead. I know the power of God, and I know the silence of God. And sometimes I wonder if I would handle silence better if power wasn't on the table at all. So what do we do with this? What do we do with a God of infinite power, but in the words of Tammy, deafening silence? With a God who seems to respond to some of our prayers while leaving so many others unanswered? Well, with that question in mind, look with me again in John 14 that we read earlier. And in verse 13, hear the words of Jesus again. I will do whatever you ask in my name. So the Father may be glorified in the Son. So you may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. Seems like just kind of a blank check that Jesus seems to give us when it comes to prayer. This is not the only place he does this. In chapter 15, verse 7, if you look in your own Bible, Jesus says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Again, in verse 16, you did not choose me. I chose you and I appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So that what Ever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. One more spot. This is in John 16, verse 23 and 24. In that day, Jesus says, you'll no longer ask me for anything. He's talking about when the Holy Spirit comes. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name, but ask and you will receive. And listen to this promise. And your joy will be complete. Hmm. Not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, but five different times, Jesus makes a promise that you can ask anything in his name and he will do it. To which I want to respond by saying, really, Jesus? Like anything? Because on the one hand, I read this, and I know what like my seminary professors say and all of that. Like This seems like a very powerful and straightforward invitation when it comes to prayer. Ask anything in my name, and I will do it. But on the other hand, from my own experience, and I'm sure from yours too, this is a promise or this is an invitation that does not seem to deliver a predictable and consistent results. And so what's happening here? Is Jesus lying? Is he overpromising? Or maybe is it that uh, his original words were lost in translation over the years? What's going on? If Jesus' words are true, here's the question. Why is it that though, yes, some of my prayers are answered, so many prayers are not answered? And here's the simple answer to that question. I mean, the simple answer is that most of our prayers are not prayed in Jesus' name. Again, Jesus says in verse 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name. 
so the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, on the surface, it seems like Jesus is just saying this. If you really want me to do something for you, tack my name on the end of a prayer, and God cannot not do anything about it. Like, like just say, like, you know, if you go to, to God, for example, and you pray, God, I want a million dollars. If God says no, then just say, God, I want a million dollars in Jesus' name. And God will go, oh, darn it, like, you got me. Like, you, you've tacked Jesus' name on. Okay, here's the answer to the prayer. Like, that's what it kind of seems like is going on here. But what you have to understand is that to pray in Jesus' name is not the open says me of prayer that unlocks all of your wildest dreams. But rather, to pray in Jesus' name, you have to get this, is to pray in his nature. It's to pray in line with Jesus' heart for the universe. And the simple answer to why are so many of our prayers going unanswered is because, quite honestly, we're praying outside of God's will for our lives. Rather than praying, God, I want to see your kingdom come and your will be done, we're praying, God, I want to see my kingdom come and my will be done. And that's a big reason why a lot of our prayers are answered. But here's the thing. You already know that, don't you? Like, I'm not telling you anything that I know. Like, like you're like, yeah, Jared, I get that. I've heard that a lot. That makes sense to me. But here's the question I have. What about all the times I have prayed in Jesus' name and didn't get the answer prayer? Like, like, what about whenever you pray for healing and the loved one's not healed? Sickness and death were not a part of God's original plan. God wants to bring healing. He wants there to be life rather than death. So, what about whenever I pray for healing and there's no healing? What about whenever I pray for my marriage to be restored and I ended up in divorce? God's pro-marriage, that seems to be a good God-honoring prayer. What about for the times that I prayed for my child to turn to, to Jesus, to be saved, and they continue on this path of rebellion and I continue to get silence? What is that all about? Well, I think there are seven possible reasons for why we continue to experience unanswered prayer in these cases. And I just want to walk through these very carefully. And by the way, if you're nervous because you're like, whoa, you've been talking for this long and you have seven more points, just chill out. We'll go through these fairly quickly. But here are, if you're taking notes, at least I think seven reasons for why our prayers can go unanswered. And the number one reason, not like number one is in like top, like this is just my number one point. Could have been anywhere in the list. That makes sense. So we're not, okay. Uh, one reason that we experience unanswered prayer is because of contradiction. Some prayers are not answered because they contradict other prayers. So here's just a very practical example. If you have a bride that is praying for, for a sunny day, for her wedding day, and down the road, say a mile, is a farmer begging God to bring rain so his crops will grow, one of those prayers are going to go unanswered. Does that make sense? Like just logically speaking. Here's another uh, example. When it comes to sports, I know some of you are praying for your team to win, whatever your team is. Um, and so yesterday, for example, I know some of you are praying that the Hogs would beat the Aggies. But there were also, guess what, people in Texas who are praying for the Aggies to beat the Hogs. Now, somebody's prayer got answered, and somebody's did not get answered. Does that mean God is playing favorites? Well, the Aggies would say, yeah. But I think really the point is just this. There are 7 billion people on the planet. If at least 2 million of them are all praying at the same time, I think logically speaking, it just makes sense that there are going to be at times where some prayers contradict the others and therefore someone's prayer will be answered and someone will not. Okay. Uh, reason number two. 
I think one of the reasons that we do not experience unanswered, or the reason we experience unanswered prayer is because we live in a fallen world. In the words of the Apostle Paul, creation has been subjected to frustration. That is his words in Romans 8. In layman's terms, what Paul is saying here is sin screwed everything up. That's basically what Paul is saying here. Sin has entered into our world, and therefore, you've got to understand this today, even if you are a Christian, please hear me, even if you read your Bible daily and you pray and you even tithe, your life on planet Earth will not be without suffering. And that's important for you to hear because as Americans, like we just don't have really a good category for suffering because we live in this affluent culture with many, many modern conveniences. We often feel entitled to a painless life of ease. That's at least middle class. And this is a very popular idea in our culture, but it's not a biblical idea. In fact, Jesus says in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have troubles. Peter, picking up on this idea later when writing to Christians, said, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. In other words, in this life, you can expect bad things are going to happen to good people, follower of Jesus or not. Because we live in a fallen world, we will all experience trials of various kinds. Just within this past week in the Pickney household, our refrigerator broke, had to buy a new washing machine, had to take my wife's van to the mechanic, and we had to pay medical bills. And that is not because God's mad at me. How do you know that, Jared? Because Romans 8, 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Jesus took my punishment and he took yours if you've trusted in him. I'm not experiencing things because God is mad at me or he's turned his back on me. I'm experiencing it because I live in a world just like you do, filled with trouble, to use the words of Jesus. And guys, it's so important that you get that because when suffering comes into your life, not if, but when, if you don't understand this, rather than suffering forming you into Christ's likeness, it will begin to destroy you from the inside out. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it like this, if you believe that God's children should never be ill and that no Christian should ever die from a disease, if you believe that, then you will find yourself, or if you believe that and then find yourself or someone who is dear to you dying of some incurable disease, you'll be miserable, unhappy, depressed in your spiritual life. And so listen, as a Christian, you are invited by God to pray for the cancer in your grandma's body and the appliance in your kitchen. But because we live in a fallen world, one day grandma and your appliance will die. Okay? So just trying to encourage you this morning if you're not already encouraged. We live in a fallen world where things will break down. The kingdom of God is here, but it's not all the way here yet. And therefore, we will all experience suffering. A third reason that we uh, sometimes experience unanswered prayer is because of God's best. And so sometimes our prayers are not answered because God in his infinite wisdom can see that there is something better for us than what we were asking for. This is why the great theologian Garth Brooks once wrote, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs, just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he doesn't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. I'm so glad that God has not answered all of my prayers, especially the ones I prayed in my freshman year in college. Because if he would have answered those prayers, let me just tell you, there is no way that we would be in this room together right now. We have a very limited view of what is going on in our lives. We do not see the whole picture. And therefore, there are times that we are 100% convinced what I'm praying for is a good thing. But in reality, if God gave it to us, it would have harmed us. 
It would harm us. It would harm our kids. It would harm the world around us. And so because God knows there's something better for us, sometimes he won't answer those prayers. A fourth reason is relationships. Some of our prayers aren't answered because, listen, God himself is the greater answer to the thing that you were asking for. God knows that, that if he gave you this thing, it would actually keep you from experiencing a deeper relationship with him. God knows if he answered every one of your prayers that what would happen is that you would actually end up reducing your relationship to him like this drive-through where prayer is a button you push just to show up and get what you want from him whenever you need it. And then you would drive through. You would Actually, if you get it, you would drive on kind of stuff with this thing that will never give you what God himself will give you. And so there are times where, where God will allow prayers to go unanswered because, listen, God is not a button to be pushed. He is a relationship to be pursued. And because he, the creator, is better than the creation, because the giver is always better than the gifts themselves, there are times where he will intentionally show us our need for him so that finally when we run to him over and over and over and over in prayer, we experience the fullness and the joy of life that we have been longing for. A fifth reason, and this is going to get a little weird, just so you know, that some of us don't experience answers to prayers because of spiritual warfare. I don't have time to read it, but just make a note of Daniel chapter 10, verse 10 through 14, because some of you, you might not believe what I'm about to tell you. You'll want to go read it yourself and pull out your commentaries to make sure I didn't make something up here. But in Daniel chapter 10, verse 10 through 14, Daniel has been fasting and praying for three straight weeks for God to give him an answer to his prayer. I don't know if you've ever wanted something that bad, where you have fasted and prayed for three straight weeks for God to give you an answer. But that's how bad Daniel wanted an answer to his prayer. But despite the fasting, despite the praying, for three weeks he gets nothing but silence from God. Eventually, and again, you go read this yourself, the angel Gabriel shows up to Daniel and says, Hey, my bad. God actually sent me here 21 days ago with your answer, but I got detained. I actually got in a fight with the prince of the Persian kingdom. And I got, you know, all caught up in that and I wasn't able to get loose. So eventually, fortunately, God sent Michael, who's like the leader of God's army, to come and help me in the fight. And once he helped me, then I was able to defeat him, break free. And now here's the answer to your prayer. 21 days later, after God sent me to deliver the answer to you. Is that not bizarre? It is to me. That's a crazy story. And what I think it, what I think it indicates is that sometimes unanswered prayer in our life can be the result of these spiritual battles that take place in an unseen world that we often don't like to think about. A sixth reason for unanswered prayer is a lack of faith. We just don't believe that God's going to answer our prayers. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. Matthew 21, 22, Jesus says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. So he puts a condition on it. Anything you ask, you'll receive it if you have faith. Uh, there's a great story in Mark chapter 6 where Jesus is in his hometown. And we learn, it says that Jesus could not do mighty works there because of their unbelief. So Jesus wanted to do a phenomenal work in the lives of these people, but they didn't have any belief. And so he didn't do much work there. Um, and, and listen, if that is where you are this morning, like I, here, here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Like, don't shame yourself. You're like, I'm one of these people with little faith. Like, don't shame yourself and don't even try to muster up the faith within yourself. But take that to God and ask God to increase your faith. And listen, he will do it. I think of the story in Mark 9, which we referenced in one of our songs a while ago, where there is a, a, a father who has a son who's demon-possessed and he keeps having these seizures and throwing himself in fires. It's a terrible situation. And Jesus shows up and the man says, Father, he says, he says Jesus, please, if you can, heal my son. And Jesus says, if I can. It says all things are possible for the person who believes, to which the man responds by saying, I believe, but help my unbelief. 
In other words, I really want to believe, but I can't believe. Would you please help me to believe? And what I love about the story is Jesus didn't say, sorry, come back when you have more faith. Jesus heals the man's son. He cast out the demon. Why? Because he acknowledged his lack of faith and said, I want to believe it. I can't believe. Please help me to believe. And Jesus gave him the faith to believe, which brought about the answer to the prayer. A final reason is this. One of the reasons that we do not experience unanswered prayer, and this is a hard one, guys, but I think this is huge, is because of unrepentant sin. It's because of disobedience in our lives. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened to me. This does not mean that you have to be perfect. None of us in this room are without sin. And according to 1 John, if you say you're without sin, you're a liar. The truth is not in you. We all struggle with sin all the time. This is not saying you have to be perfect, but what this is saying is this. Please hear me. You cannot be flippant about sin and expect God to answer your prayers. Plain and simple. If you right now know there are things that God has told you to start doing that you're not doing, or you know there's things he told you to stop doing that you continue to do, you can count on the fact that God will not hear your prayers if you continue to harbor that sin. And it's not because God hates you or is mad at you, but he's actually, let me think of it like this. This is kind of coming to me. I don't know if this is going to be confusing. Hopefully it's helpful. Don't raise your hand if, this is, if you know someone like this, but do you know someone who like spoiled their kids and they just got worse and worse and worse and worse and worse and you're like, God, like, just discipline them. Stop giving them all this stuff because it's just they're, they're blowing it. Like it's just making them like this worse and worse human being. Like you know people like that? Like I certainly have known people like that. And listen, God's not the kind of father who does that to his kids. He's not going to enable you to go down this life and this pattern of sin that just makes you a worse and worse human being. Like he will discipline you. He will continue to point you to this sin and saying, you've got to deal with this. You've got to kill this before it kills you rather than just continuing to give you whatever it is that you ask for. And so I just want to stop right here before I move on and just ask you this question. Is there any unconfessed sin in your life right now? And if there is, man, just give it to God. Whatever it may be, pornography, greed, I, I don't know what it is, some sort of addiction, whatever it is in your life, give that over to God and feel the full forgiveness of that. Turn from that thing. All that being said, I know it's a lot. Some of you might be like, wow, I thought maybe there's just one reason for why I would have unanswered prayer. Now I've learned there's seven. Great. There's no way God's going to hear my prayers. Like, I'm gonna, something's going to be off, right? And, and if that's where you are, listen, my goal this morning has not been to decrease your faith. Here's just my goal in sharing that. I just want you to see this. If God has not answered some of your prayers, I promise you it is not because he is distant. It's not because he's weak. It's not because it's e he's evil. And it's not because he doesn't care for you. In the words of Jesus, and we looked at this in the first week in our series, God is a good father who always loves to give good gifts to his children. And so if you're experiencing unanswered prayer in this season of your life, keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. And if rather than getting the miracle, you get the silence of God, trust this, that God, even in the silence, is still at work. Even in the midst of your unanswered prayers, he is working even through those in a way that will be for your good and his glory. And if you're like, where in the world do you get that from? Well, from the prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Again, Jesus prayed, Abba, Father, everything is possible for you. And then he prayed this, so please take this cup from me. You know what he's talking about? Anybody know? He's talking about, he's about to go to the cross and he's saying, please, I, I don't want to experience your wrath on the cross. 
I don't want you to pour your wrath out on me for everyone else's sins. Please let this cup pass from me. But then he prays this, not what I will, but what you will. This is Jesus's prayer that he prayed in his greatest hour of need, that the cup would be taken. And you know what happened? You know the story. God didn't do it. Jesus himself in this moment experienced unanswered prayer. And as a result, he would be unjustly arrested, tried without representation, tortured publicly, mocked repeatedly, and killed gruesomely. Think about this. The one guys who used to move across the sea, walk across a sea like it is a dance floor, the one who could use a single tuna sandwich to feed 5,000 people and would cure blindness with, with mud and spit, who would send demons with their tails tucked, the one who breathed life into a dead corpse with a single command, he himself endured the silence of God. Why? So that through his unanswered prayer, you could experience salvation. So that you and I could be redeemed. So that we could be forgiven. So that we could be accepted. So that we could know that just as Jesus would experience a death, a burial, then a resurrection, then one day we too will experience a death, burial, and resurrection. And because that is true, listen, if you begin to believe this, rather than letting your unanswered prayers destroy your faith, you can look at the cross and you can see with confidence that God is there, even in the silence, working all things together for your ultimate good. When you begin to believe this, guys, you can continue to go to God with your big prayers and your small prayers, no matter what happened in your past prayers. I want to end here today. In Acts chapter 12, I read it a few weeks ago, um, it's a story about Peter's miraculous deliverance from prison. You remember that story? Peter's arrested for preaching the gospel. He's supposed to be executed. So the, the church comes together and says, there's nothing we can do. This is outside of our control, outside of our power. So let's just pray that God will deliver him. And God does it. He opens the jail cell. He supernaturally navigates Peter using an angel past the guards, through the city, and into the prayer room. It's absolutely fantastic. It is the headline of Acts chapter 12. We love that story. But we forget about the story that's running in the background of that. In Acts chapter 12, verse 1, I'll read it to you. You can see it on the screen. It says, It was about that time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with a sword. When he saw that this met, was met with approval among the Jews, he then proceeded to seize Peter also. So wait a minute. Hang on a second here. Did you catch that? God miraculously frees Peter. But just the night before lets James become unjustly executed. Why? Why would God miraculously deliver Peter and not James? By the way, if you don't know Peter and James, they are like the inner, inner circle in Jesus' friend group. Like these are the apostles of the apostles. So it's not that like Peter was more important than James. And therefore, what this means is that if the church gathered to pray all night for Peter, it stands for reason they would have gathered the night before to pray for James. So why would God answer their prayers in regards to Peter, but not answer their prayers in regards to James? Why deliver Peter and allow James to be crucified? Why? Or not crucified, but executed. Why? And here's the answer. I have no idea. 
That's the only honest answer I can give you this morning. I don't know. But here's what I do know. I know when I look at the life of Christ and I look in the Garden of Gethsemane and I look to the cross that I know without a shadow of a doubt that even in the midst of our unanswered prayers and even in the middle of death itself that God is still good and he is still in control and he is still working everything together for your ultimate good. And I know this. That when I read Acts, I see a church with a resilient faith that I hope increasingly becomes true of us. Because in the background of the miraculous answer prayer in Acts 12 is a community that gathered all night to pray for Peter, even when the night before they tried this with their friend James and it didn't work. And they still prayed. And if they can do it, you can do it. In the midst of your unanswered prayers, in the midst of your disappointment, in the midst of your doubt, you can continue to pray. I want to end thinking about Tammy again for just a moment. I asked her this week, um, I said, why do you keep showing up? Like you suffer the way you have, you've experienced the loss that you have, like why keep showing up? And here's how she responded. I keep showing up because a life without Jesus would lead me to even more despair. Over and over, he has met me in the darkness. In the room with Heather when they told us she was brain dead, in the hallway at the funeral home, or as the funeral home rolled away, Mindy away from me. In the cemetery as I stood watching my second sister in a month be buried. God was there when I had Fletcher. And he was there when we carried him to his final resting place. He was there as I stood at the three graves, the people I love the most. He was there even in the council session each night as I laid in my bathroom floor screaming out to him. And he was there as I had to pick up the pieces with five kids watching. He has always been there. He has never left me, and I would never leave him. Without him, the grief and despair would be unbearable. And let me ask you this question. What is more miraculous? That God would have answered every one of her prayers and healed the ones that she loves or for God to sustain her faith through all of that to where she continues to love him even in the midst of the pain. Because I'll tell you, because I've seen it happen, you know what typically happens when our prayers get answered? Who gets the credit for her? Usually not God. She's like the doctors when it comes to things like this. To me, what's more supernatural and what's more miraculous? I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. What is it? Is it that God would have answered all the prayers or that he sustained her this long through unanswered prayers? I don't know, but here's what I know. We'll end here. I want a heart like that. I want to be a person who, even if I go through suffering and pain, I don't become cynical. I don't become hard-hearted. I don't become calloused. But I continue to show up and to pray with persistence and to have a heart that trusts God, that knows that, that even in the silence that he is there, that he is powerful, that he is good, that he himself has experienced unanswered prayer. And because I know of the way God responded to him in his unanswered prayer, that he's now responding to me in the same way, which means that all things that I experience ultimately truly will be worked together for my good 
and for his glory. With that in mind, I'm going to invite our, um, those who are preparing communion to go ahead and come forward. And without moving around too much, just let me explain this to everyone and how this works. I know that we have some, some new people here today. Each week, we partake of communion as a way of embodying what we just talked about. And today, it's, it's essential that we come here and we remember that it's because of an unanswered prayer of Jesus that we get to experience salvation. We get to experience freedom. We get to experience acceptance. And today, if you've trusted in Jesus, you're invited to this table, whether you're a member of this church or not. The bread represents the perfect life of Jesus that he lived on your behalf. The fact that if there's anybody who did not deserve pain or suffering, it was Jesus. And then as we take the juice, we remember that, that nobody suffered worse than Jesus. That his blood was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. That he took the wrath of God so that rather than getting God's wrath, you can receive God's love and his mercy and his blessings for all eternity. And if you've trusted in this reality, it's all yours in Christ. Come and partake of communion. Again, we'll have someone tear off the piece of bread for you, which represents the life of Christ. I'll dip it in the juice, which represents his blood shed for you. And if you don't feel comfortable taking communion up here, we have some disposable cups that's being held in the back so you can grab those as well. With that, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. I want to pray for you. And then we'll be dismissed. After I pray, feel free to come forward. We'll sing another song and then I'll be dismissed. Father, we do thank you so much for giving us your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you were in full agreement with the Father, that you trusted him so much that even when you did not fully, did not, Father, Jesus, I think about it, even as you wrestled with all this stuff, as you did not want to take on the wrath of God, you did not want to be separated from him, that you still trust the Father in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of the silence. And I pray that you would help us to do likewise, that you would give us faith. Help us to believe that you are good, that you are in control, that you are powerful, that you are a Father who only wants to give us good gifts. We believe, but help our unbelief. And if there's anybody here today who does not have a relationship with you, Jesus, anybody who's not walking with you, anybody who maybe just has a head knowledge, but they've never really experienced your love, I pray that right now in your Holy Spirit that you would just convict them sweetly, that you would open up their heart, open up their mind, open up their lives to receive everything that you are. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.